Space, The Final Frontier, is the opening line of one of my favorite science fiction shows, Star Trek The Next Generation. It is one of the many TV shows, books, and movies about space exploration that has captured the public's interest over the years. However, a production is scripted, but real life is more uncertain and intriguing. Which leads me to our next community conversation between two childhood friends whose fathers were on separate Apollo moon missions. Emory Senior Lecturer Tracy Scott and Diane Gordon-Briggs discuss memories of their childhood watching the moon. I'm your host, Lily Tarot, the Community Outreach Archivist at Emory University Library's Stuart A. Rose Manuscript Archives and Rare Book Library, and you are listening to Rose Library Presents Community Conversations. 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Hello, I'm Tracy Scott. I'm a senior lecturer here at Emory. And I'm thrilled today to be here with my very good friend, Diane Gordon-Briggs. We grew up together in the NASA astronaut community, and I want to give you a little background about that to begin with. Diane and I were part of the very, very early NASA astronaut community. NASA was established in 1958 with the first group of astronauts, the Mercury astronauts, and the goal of getting people into space. This was during the Cold War, and we had a space race with the Soviets to launch humans into space. And we did that successfully. And then President Kennedy in 1961 made a speech to the joint session of Congress in which he declared the goal of landing a man on the moon. And after that momentous speech, NASA expanded greatly into two new programs, the Gemini program and the Apollo program. And with those two new programs started, they selected the next two groups of astronauts, Group 2 in 1962 and Group 3 in 1963. And these were the core group of astronauts that were going to fly the Gemini missions, which were precursors to the Apollo missions, which would be the ones that would land men on the moon. So those first three groups of astronauts are kind of the core group that that were on these missions that ended up going to the moon. There were other astronauts selected after that that were on Apollo missions, but it was quite a bit longer um, after 1963 before they were selected. So there was a very kind of tight-knit, close community with the first three groups of astronauts, both at work at NASA and in the communities with the families. So my father and Diane's father were both selected in group three, of these early astronauts in 1963. Our dads both flew on a Gemini mission and they both flew on an Apollo mission that went to the moon. So Diane's father flew on Apollo 12. He was the command module pilot who stayed in the command module and orbited the moon while the other two men went and landed on the moon. But he was was vitally important to get everyone home and he did get to orbit the moon. 
my father flew on Apollo 15 that was also a lunar landing and he landed on the moon and was the first person to drive the car, a lunar rover on the moon. What was really fun though, is that Diane's father was backup crew to my father and my father was on the backup crew to Diane's father. So they had a lot of interaction together at work. They also lived in the same little community outside of NASA. In these early days of NASA, there weren't really any kind of towns around the NASA center in outside of Houston. And these early groups of astronauts established three little communities outside of NASA. And one of those was Nassau Bay that many of the group three astronauts moved into. And Diane and I lived in Nassau Bay right across the street from each other. And there were other Apollo group three astronauts that lived very close to us. So it was a very unusual community, almost like a company town, because everybody that lived in Nassau Bay was either an astronaut or worked for NASA in those early days. So that's a little bit of, of background for everyone today. I also should mention that the last lunar mission was in 1972. And since then, humans have only flown about 250 miles away from Earth, staying within Earth's orbit. So the International Space Station, the shuttle flights, all of the, the flights that you see going on now, people are staying within Earth's orbit, which is about 250 miles away from Earth. What Diane's father and my father did was fly to the moon, which was 250,000 miles from Earth. 250,000 miles away from Earth. No one has done that since 1972. So it was extraordinary, extraordinary that we accomplished this in the 1970s and we've not done it since. And now what I want to do is um, turn it over to the more interesting stories about our lives as astronaut kids in the early era. And so I welcome Diane Gordon, who was um, my best friend in elementary school and growing up in Nassau Bay. And I'd like for her to introduce herself a little bit before I start asking questions. I'm Diane Gordon Briggs. I was the youngest of six um, and I was very, very young when my father got picked up. He was in the third group. He had tried out for the second group of astronauts and got turned down, which um, out of all his career challenges, I think that if, that was the biggest disappointment. He was slated to go down on the moon for Apollo 18. And we were scheduled to go all the way to the moon up to Apollo 20. And because of budget constraints and because of the public interest, they kind of lost. I mean, we've been there, done that type of thing. So they scaled back the program. They let go of 20. Then they let go of 19. And he was working very hard to do Apollo 18. He had the geologist to go with him, Schmidt. When they scaled it back and they knew Apollo 17 was going to be the last mission to land on the moon, there was a fierce competition but friendly competition because my dad was really close to Gene Cernan also. And it was a huge disappointment. So I think we left Nassau Bay uh, about a year before Tracy did. And it's she and I were thick as thieves um, back in the day, uh, she was the oldest of, and they had two, 
her and her brother. And I had an older sister that was their favorite babysitter, Carlene. I had four brothers, and then I was the youngest. We had a great time during those years. And it's, it's a real privilege to talk to Tracy and uh, reminisce. To begin us off, Di, I want to ask you, you know, this was our fathers had very unusual jobs compared to what most uh, people were doing at the time. There were only 14 men in group three. There were only nine in group two. This was this very small kind of unusual work group. But what are your I want to hear what are some of your favorite memories of your dad's work as an astronaut? You know, when did you sort of realize what he did? Um, And tell me some of your favorite memories of him and his work. Well, the thing that's kind of interesting about being the youngest of six, my dad was a Navy test pilot, and he was the winner in 1961, which is the year I was born, with the Bendix Trophy. Um, I think he's one of the only astronauts that won that trophy. So he was well-known within the test pilot community uh, before he even came to NASA. So we had the Bendix Trophy, a miniature version of it, that would sit on our bookcases. And there was also a picture of my dad with, it was NASA's official picture of my dad, and he had the spacecraft, a miniature model. And oddly enough, I don't ever remember not knowing that he was an astronaut. Now, I was um, uh, very young when he got picked up in 63, and then we came to Nassau Bay in 64. So I only remember him as being an astronaut. And since we were in a community, that's what dads did. I probably didn't think it was that big of a deal. Yes, and I, I like that you bring up the fact that he was a test pilot first. Most of the guys were, right? So even our moms were used were used to actually quite... Um, you know, quite an unusual type of work that their husbands did. Um, so, it, yeah, yeah. So do you remember, uh, you know, um, uh, kind of, do you remember Apollo 12, which was the, the lunar mission? Yes, I, re- I actually remember my first memories were being a space kid, which is kind of a different memory. I mean, most people can't say that was their first memory for sure. <laughs> I remember the Gemini 11 really well. He flew both times with Pete Conrad, which was his soulmate, so to speak, in space. And I remember both flights really well. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, One of the things um, with that picture of my dad, our dads were gone a lot. I always felt my dad's presence because of that picture. That picture, I'm telling you, his eyes followed me and I felt his presence, even if he wasn't there. And, you know, talking about what our moms went through, um, I'm not sure most people really understand how dangerous test pilot life, what that was like for the women, um, the wives. I mean, I can remember my mom sharing with me, but this was much later that she went to 20 funerals in one year. It was uh, high risk to say the least. And so was the space program. And I think that was uh, something I didn't really think about. It was, it just felt very normal for you and I. And, um, you know, it's, it's, 
looking back on it is when I realized how unique and unusual our childhoods really were. Yeah, that I think that that is common with a lot of us. We grew up mm-hmm. in it and you think it's it's normal because that's what you grow up with, right? And I am glad you brought up the, the how risky the test pilot life was because in a lot of ways it was higher risk than the astronaut mm-hmm. because the guys were mm-hmm. flying all the time and they weren't flying as much once they became astronauts. So tell me a little more about kind of what were some things that we did or that life was like that felt ordinary to us, but that other people would think was not so ordinary? Well, I think probably the first thing that comes to my mind is seeing your dads on TV, you know, being interviewed. I think also of the times that we were followed by the media and taking pictures. I mean, my first memory was Gemini 11 and being outside and reporters and photographers taking pictures. We had a contract with Life magazine. Uh, They took a lot of photos of the life of astronauts and their families. So um, I was young. And so that seemed very normal. Uh, And I acted probably a little too normal and probably ruined a lot of images that people had of the perfect family because I was, I had four brothers to keep up with, you know, and so I would do all kinds of shenanigans and I talked you into a few of them. And I think as you had said in a story you wrote and you shared with me recently, I think we spent a lot of our childhood apologizing for our antics, for sure. I think the other thing that comes to my mind is that our dads got to have unusual perks. One of them, of course, I mentioned was the Life magazine. The other one was that for Apollo 12, they had uh, the Corvettes that were custom made. And Apollo 12, oddly enough, um, C.C. Williams was supposed to fly, and he wasn't a Navy pilot, but both Pete and my dad were Navy pilots. And unfortunately, Williams was killed in a plane crash, and a few of them were killed um, flying. Uh, We lost um, quite a few, I think, of Freeman and and Apollo 1. But for Apollo 12, uh, the Corvettes were made for just Pete, Alan Bean, and my dad, Dick Gordon. And they had the gold and black Corvettes. Those were cool. Only three of a kind ever made. So... I remember that. And then your dad, for Apollo 15, they had the, what, the red, white, and blue? Yeah, there were, yes, there were a lot of perks, but I didn't, there I were. don't think I realized how much we had of those until later, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right, absolutely. Yeah, it was just fun as a kid. Did you it feel was, like that? Oh, it was fun. And, you know, uh, the fact that the way we, your back driveway faced my back driveway. So we were at each other's houses all the time. And next door to us was the McDivitts who flew Apollo 9. Michael Collins was kind of catacorned to our house. Your mom was very close to Mrs. Collins also. And um, down the street were the Cernans. Down from there was the Swikarts, the Beans. I mean, that was, we grew up with that. And we grew up, the other thing that was probably people would feel, well, that was unusual, is that we would have bus tours that would kind of come through because you could go to the the mission control NASA, where our dads would sometimes work. 
and uh, then you could, you know, take a, uh, a tour ride over there and then come through the neighborhoods. And so you and I would be playing outside a lot and they would be driving by. And I think we stuck our tongue out at many a buses that came by, much to our mother's horror, for sure. Yes. Well, I mean, and this is, I mean, think about it. As a kid, these tour buses are coming through your neighborhood to look at your house because your dad's an astronaut. The outside world is think, is looking at our fathers differently than we are, right? Uh, yes. And looking yeah. at us as families, astronaut families, differently than we feel like we are, right? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, it's so funny because... You know, I have to unpack a lot of stuff with my dad. I mean, most people do with their childhood, right? Their moms or dads, how they were raised. So I did a lot of that unpacking, but we had extra layers of unpacking. Um, first, what our dads did was very unique, unusual. Um, and with the perks came fame in the media. So we had to unpack that from our childhood and then how people would treat us. So there was a lot of unpacking that went on for sure. When we were growing up in Nassau Bay, did, did you ever think about that much or was it more when you moved away that you started doing that unpacking, Diane? Well, I think because of the sacrifices our families went through and the military life has sacrifices. So that came kind of before that. And then with the space program, you had a certain image that you had to portray. I don't think I thought about that because I was so young and it was so normal. Um, so the unpacking I had to do was probably my relationship with my dad and the fact that he was gone so much and how he was when he came home. They were exhausted. They just wanted to come home and be normal. They didn't have to perform. They didn't have to be uh, this image hero for the public. There was that unpacking, you know, your daughter, daddy issues and not, you know, feeling like, oh, my word, NASA took the best of my dad, you know, and unpacking that. And I think when I unpacked all that, it really was pivotal in my coming to my faith. Um, but then I also had to unpack um, him as an astronaut and being a hero. So, and then I had to kind of look at my childhood and come to a place of, you know, I really should be proud of what they did. And it took a lot of years because I kind of put my childhood in a box, especially when I moved away from Nassau Bay. I put it in a box and I was forward thinking, what am I going to do with my life? You know, what is that going to look like? What kind of education am I going to be involved with? The friends and all those things that every person has to look at. What are they going to do with their life? What choices are you going to make? I think when you and I reconnected, and that was you and I got to reconnect when Alan Bean passed away, and that was 2018, you and I got to see each other at the funeral. I, it was a surprise that you were there. And it was interesting because then I took that box out of my childhood, and I looked and delved into that. I'd already dealt with a lot of my dad issues his humanness, so to speak. 
I mean, these were superheroes, but they were human with mm-hmm. all that entails. Um, I had to look at my parents got divorced after 27 years, which is a heartbreak. Your parents were married longer. So we had to unpack a lot of that um, and come to terms with though the world treated our dads like they were heroes, they were human. Mm-hmm. And then when you and I reconnected, we've talked through some of our childhood memories. I came to a real peace and joy, especially with the 40th anniversary and then the 50th anniversary. And we got to celebrate this past summer. My husband and I, my brother and his wife, got to go to San Diego to celebrate your dad's 50th anniversary because your dad's still living. My my dad passed away in 2017. My mom passed away in 2014. And your mom was passed away right after my mom. And they were very, very close. Um, also, I think... Um, when the astronaut wives started connecting with one another, uh, years later, Mrs. Armstrong, I think, was instrumental in getting the wives together and just talking through what that life was really like. Um, I knew that my mom treasured those times with those women. And then you and I and my sister, Carlene, had the privilege because they invited the daughters along right before COVID. And it was a really special time. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think the reconnections have been really interesting for a lot of us. You know, it's, uh, it was a very unusual childhood, but I'm not sure, I didn't realize that till we moved away, right? And then, as you say, I sort of put it in a box as well. I didn't think about it for a long time. Because when I moved away, people started treating me so much differently than the Nassau Bay community had treated me. And I didn't like that. Right? I didn't like that notion that we were famous or my dad was a hero. Um, so I kind of bracketed that off for quite a long time. Having those communities, and especially the, the wives kept in touch over the years, as Di said, they, they started doing these reunions every few years with the original wives. These were the wives that were married to the guys during the program because most of them got divorced. But the wives would get together and, you know, do a long weekend and share their current lives because they had a closeness from that unusual bond that we had when we lived around NASA during those early, you know, moon landing years. Um, It was so unusual and we were almost in a little fishbowl. And it's hard for anyone else to understand that experience that wasn't part of it. So I think maintaining those ties over all the years, our moms were able to support each other, even when they moved away and, um, you know, weren't living close together anymore. But I was glad to see them invite the daughters on their last reunion, since some of the moms are not no longer with us, your mom and mine. I was very glad to see them uh, bring us together and start establishing um, those connections between the kids again, because I think all of us kids have some really common experiences that other people don't don't know about. So I want to, you know, just mention the media one more uh, one more time. There was this book that the World Book Encyclopedia put together in 1964. It was a like large magazine type supplement to the World Book Encyclopedia. So if you bought 
that in 1964, you got this kind of large format magazine supplement that was called The Astronauts and Their Families. And it was like a picture book with all of the astronauts and, and their families from the first three groups of astronauts. So I remember having that as a kid and just spending hours looking through it because my family was in it, your family was in it, all my best friends were in it. It was such a bizarre experience to have this world book, you know, little magazine thing where our families are all in it. Do you, rem do you remember some of those things? Yes, Tracy, you had a good memory from that. <laughs> I felt like like the pictures of myself were like a Greek tragedy, and I was in desperate need of a stylist because on the one picture, one page of picture, I had, you know, blondish kind of curly hair, and so my mother decided I needed a haircut, and she was the one to give it to me. And literally, I had a bowl haircut, right? Yep. And it was... It was a tragedy. It truly was a humbling experience. I had my belly was sticking out of my outfit. My black and white shoes were untied. The only thing missing was my finger up my nose. I'm telling you. And literally everybody is looking in my family at me because I look like a Greek tragedy before you and not looking so cute. And I'm thinking, so I didn't look at that album very often, unless I wanted, unless I needed some humility. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. And the media talked about, oh, too, too much, too, too much. So I will say um, the the pictures that I had taken of me, uh, well, I was, you could see my personality and that my I needed some control. And my poor mother, I can remember from my experience with Gemini 11, uh, there are pictures of me, Tracy, where my mother's trying to have a conversation with uh, Gemini 11. And she is has me in an arm lock. And I am like literally trying to wrestle away. And it's very evident that I'm being a brat and trying to get away from my mother. And there is the media capturing it in all of its glory. It's like, so when Apollo 12 came around, um, the thing that was interesting with Apollo 12 was my mother tried a new tactic and said, you know, Diane, you need to be careful with how you act. You need to make sure you have, you know, proper behavior and uh, she gave me quite a speech. So you and I were at the bus stop and there were the reporters and the photographer and I was supposed to behave. So uh, my new tactic in third grade was to hide behind you and you were skipping around me, skipping around me. And you decided, oh, I'm just going to, you know, scoot away from her. So there I am peeking behind like I'm trying to behave myself, you know, so the best way to behave myself is to hide because other than that, I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> well, that, you know, and it was so bizarre to have the media around. The Life magazine yeah. reporters were in mm -hmm. our houses during the flights, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And I want you to just tell everyone about the other part of um, during the flights that was so unusual that people don't know about, which were the squawk boxes. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yes. those? Oh, I really do. I remember. Well, Can you tell people what, what those were? Okay. So the squawk 
boxes were like an intercom system that the families got to uh, hear everything that was going on in flight. Houston, uh, evasive maneuver, SPS GNN, 63481 plus 095 minus 020 GETI. Even though we knew that that was there and it was all put in and we could hear it 24 7, um, we had a house that had an intercom system. So that to me, it was kind of like an addition to, uh, it was just like an intercom system. So, uh, you know, you got to hear things. And then, like you said, the reporters would come in. uh, They were recording all your human emotions. They wanted to capture that, um, which is kind of an interesting dilemma for the families and the wives. Think about uh, Apollo 13. And are like my dad on Apollo 12, when he launched he the capsule very early on, within a minute uh, or so, they got struck by lightning twice. You could hear some, I was pretty young, so I was pretty oblivious to the danger of what was mm-hmm. happening with they they hadn't practiced getting struck by lightning. So um, and you know, later on, much later in my life, I found out that they just weren't sure uh, if the guys were going to make it back home before Apollo 13. And Mission Control decided to let them go and have a ball. And we were going to find out if there was going to be damage to Splashdown. They weren't sure, you know, what had happened, if it, it, if it had affected the parachutes when they would come splash down into the Pacific Ocean. Um, I was not told this at all. I'm sure my moms, our moms knew. I just remember my mom made us go to church a lot (laughs) because there was a concern, but I was oblivious to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was interesting. We really were oblivious to those things. Um, Mm -hmm. Our moms were Mm -hmm. the ones that, that shouldered that burden, right? They sure did. Yeah. Yeah. And your mom and my mom were very similar on, um, they were cut out of the same cloth, so to speak, very, um, stoic. They didn't, I never thought of my mom as nervous. I found her very calm. I found Mm -hmm. her very peaceful and never knew about the dangers of the space program. I do remember Apollo one. Do you remember that Tracy? I do. This was the the fire that happened on the pad. Before any of the Apollo missions launched, this was going to be the first one. And it was the fire that killed all three of the astronauts inside the capsule. My father was backup crew, so he was there that day. Mm. Um, Yeah, and it was... I do remember those things vaguely as a child and how terrible they were. But I think, again, as as being that young, um, we tended to to bounce back and be a bit more resilient because we... I don't think we really understood what it meant. No, um, no. Really, yeah. yeah. I remember I remember exactly where I was for that. Uh, we were in the kitchen, and of course, there was that desk with our intercom system, and it also had a radio. This was just mm-hmm. our everyday intercom system. You know, my mom having six kids, and instead of going up and down the stairs, she could call us on the intercom. And I remember the radio announced that there was a tragedy and my mother was in the kitchen. That was the first time 
I saw her break down um, because at that time they just said there was a tragedy. So we didn't know it was Ed White, Gus Grissom, and Chafee. And um, I remember that was the first time I ever recall that there was danger involved. And the next time where I kind of unpacked that danger was uh, the challenger. I remember exactly where I was. I remember having a phone conversation with my mom, Tracy. And I remember being so struck with her reaction to it. You know, because now she didn't have to hold it all together. I was older. I was an adult. I was working. And uh, my phone conversation with her was she was heartbroken, not for the lives that were lost, which I thought, oh, that's kind of unusual because she said they knew the risk. They were willing to pay the risk. But she was heartbroken for the families and for all the people involved within the shuttle program that had worked so hard to get these men and women up in the Challenger and then it exploded. And she just like, they're, they're left to pick up the pieces. And she was heartbroken because she knew firsthand, like your mom, how hard people worked. And you know, our dads got a lot of the accolades, but a lot of these people involved in the space program, men and women, the doctors, you know, just goes engineers, the flight directors, they dedicated their lives to protect and to have successful missions. So they were devastated that these tragedies happened. I completely agree with you. And I think that the public understood that better in a lot of ways with the Challenger than they did with the tragedies that happened in the early era in our Mm -hmm. community. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Diane mentioned earlier that uh, some of some of the guys in Group 3 died before they were able to fly. There were actually three of them who that happened with. Um, Charlie Bassett and Ted Freeman and C.C. Williams all yeah. died in plane crashes before they were able to go into space. And right. then Roger Cha- Chaffee, who was in Group 3 as well, died in the Apollo 1 fire. Yes. I think that the devastation for their families was immense. It didn't get the coverage in the news media like the families and and the groups did with the Challenger. NASA didn't want that in the media because they were still trying to launch these flights and get to the moon. And a lot of it was was downplayed. And I think, I'm not sure the families got the support that they got later on. Um, And I've always thought that was tremendously awful in a sense. And I know our moms tried to support the wives um, mm-hmm. But it was so difficult for them when their husbands were no longer part of NASA. It was really difficult. Um, so there, I mean, there's some a lot of untold stories there that I don't think yes. people are aware of. It tends to be a kind of mythologized time period, and uh, we don't tend to think about the sacrifices that some of those guys made, mm-hmm. and the and the families, as you said, the yes. families. Yeah, the families yeah. really did. I don't know, Tracy, if you ever had a conversation with your dad about if he had any fear of flying or, uh, you know, not coming back. But my dad, uh, he was just cocky, swagger to the 10th degree, and he just, 
it never occurred. And I know your dad with Neil Armstrong had a, a harrowing experience in Gemini. So, and I know you've talked more so as we've realized, you know, these are amazing men, amazing mm-hmm. memories. And you've talked more with your dad because he's still here. And I'm so glad you've done that because that's such a gift. I mean, my dad just, he was razor focused. How about your dad? Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of the guys thought about the danger at all or the fear, but they've been test pilots. That was the nature of the game. They knew exactly what it was. I think that they thrived on that um, risk. And in a lot of ways, the, the um, the best thing that captures that whole culture was Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff, that test pilot culture that's all about you just want to fly and you want to, you know, fly in a way that is groundbreaking and test the limits and what other people would consider risky, but you yourself aren't thinking it's risky. You just want to, to do these sort of groundbreaking things and test your abilities. So, yeah, I don't think my, my father was never afraid. And, um, and my mother wasn't as much either. Um, her father was a, a pilot in the Air Force. That was unusual that the wives were that way, because I do think you saw some wives who didn't have that mental uh, backbone that, oh, it can't happen to my husband. I think some wives were legit, very concerned about the safety of their husbands, and and it yeah. took a toll on some of the wives. Um, yeah. And so that was your mom and my mom related quite well with believing that, oh, it's not going to happen to Dick or it's not going to happen to Dave. Uh, they'll somehow figure out a way to come back. Yeah. Kind of thinking along some of those lines, I've got a couple of questions I want to to finish up with. What's one of the biggest misconceptions you think people have about astronauts from that time period or our astronaut family life? Well, the first one that comes to my mind is that it really didn't happen. (laughs) We always hear that. I didn't believe it really happened. And I'm thinking, well, that would be a real, uh, like, amazing uh, 50-year secret plus. Um, I think we can testify that it actually happened. It wasn't a movie set. Uh, The the other one would be that uh, we got to keep some moon rocks, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's mm-hmm. the government possession, although mm-hmm. we did have some great perks with, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's funny because when I when I put those misconceptions in a box or the fact that my dad was a superhero, um, I would throw things in my closet and my husband finally said enough is enough. You, you know, my husband had wanted to be an astronaut himself and he says uh, he had eye issues and he said there was too many perfect people in this world with great eyes, so he he couldn't become one. So I guess he decided, well, I'll just marry a daughter of one. And so um, he would grab a lot of the photos and the different things and said, you know, Diane, let's display some of this. Um, Another misconception is that I would go around telling everybody who my dad was. That's not something I I don't do. Uh, Usually people will know me. And then they find out with after knowing me for some years, like, oh, my word, why didn't you tell me? Well, it's not like I go up to somebody and say, hello, 
I'm Diane Gordon-Briggs, and did you know my dad was one of the few people, the 24 men that would fly to the moon? I don't, you know, that just didn't happen. Another misconception is uh, how ordinary we felt our lives were and that uh, our, our dads were, had military pay. Yeah. They had some unusual perks, but basically they were military men and um, they were paid what, you know, the, yeah. the, whatever rank they were, that's what they were paid. They did have, you know, some perks. But other than that, the, those are the things that come to my mind. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, people think we're wealthy, right? Uh, that, yeah. that was the Yes, that, we, that they got a lot of money for going mm-hmm. um, being mm-hmm. astronauts. You don't make a lot of money being an astronaut. Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. Yes. And it is, it, it is very, it's a weird thing to try and tell people, which meant I didn't tell people for a long time either. I've right. been like you, Di. I get to know people and then it'll come out and they'll say, why didn't you tell me? And I think, yeah, I'm just going to go up to you and say, hello, I'm Tracy Scott. And my dad went to the moon. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just bizarre. Yeah. 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 That's not going to happen. No. Another no. one, which is really funny, Tracy, is, um, you know, later on, I don't know, your dad may not have, have been in uh, as involved because, you know, these were men that had their own personalities, their own character, like Neil Armstrong really shied away from publicity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My dad was uh, gregarious. He was very extroverted. Uh, he was comfortable um, with what he had done. And so he did, um, he would periodically go places and sign autographs where people mm-hmm. would, you know, uh, get his autograph and such. And I can remember uh, there was uh, an auction of space stuff and, and you could get autographs. And it was in the D.C. area. I don't live far from the D.C. area. And so my husband and I were able to go to this event. And there was a really nice dinner and there was, you know, the media was involved and stuff like that. And I, of course, was sitting uh, with my dad and I think uh, Larry and Nancy, my brother Larry and his uh, my sister-in-law were there too because they live in the D.C. area. And um, I remember uh, this gentleman, an adult, came up to me and was like tongue-tied that I was, you know, the daughter of an astronaut and wanted to know what was that like. And I'm thinking, well, this is uncomfortable. I'm thinking he puts on his pants just like you, you know, and I was just... I just remember not, I, I was speechless because I was thinking, well, he's a dad. <laughs> he's my dad, uh, you yeah. know, and it just was just weird. So um, I understand. Yeah, right. They were just our dads. Absolutely. Just our dads. Yep. That brings me back, though, to the, you know, for us, they were just our dads, but this was a really mm-hmm. historic time period. Mm-hmm. And I think people are beginning to appreciate it more now than they have you know, than they have in the past um, with these anniversaries and with sort of seeing what we did given how little technology we had. Um, yes. So, uh. so I, you know, I, I donated my mom's and some of my dad's papers mm-hmm. to the Rose Library mm-hmm. here at Emory um, because they're historical documents to that, yeah. that testify to that era. There are press photos, there's correspondence, there some audio tapes of my mom making speeches after the flights. Um, there are all sorts of some memorabilia. Um, but what I would love to hear is, is what 
you think would be interesting to explore with those sorts of artifacts from our lives. So I'm going to teach a class next semester where I'm going to have students go in and look at these papers. And what would you like my students to think about or look for or explore when you think about those artifacts from our lives back then? Well, first, I think your students are so blessed to have you as their professor. I think, um, and the legacy you've chosen to leave. I'm so proud of the fact that you've done this, Tracy. It's such a gift, a gift of inspiration because, you know, as we've had the 50th anniversary for a lot of this, we haven't done Apollo 17 yet, uh, Tracy Cernan's dad. Um, but it is such an extraordinary time in our country. And during that time, it was also very similar to the times we live in now. Crazy times, chaotic times. But back then, it was a moment collectively that we came together. And we we're so proud of what we accomplished. So the first thing that I think of that to look at would be what we can accomplish when we set aside some of our differences and we come together for a common goal. And we were in that mission because John F. Kennedy challenged us to be the first one in that decade, and we did. We not only did one, we did Apollo 11 and then my dad's flight for Apollo 12. We landed four men on the moon and we brought them home safely. And our country came together and our community was like that. We grew up in such a united community. So I think it would be very interesting for your students to see that effect of having a goal and a purpose and how as a team we came together because I think we need that now more than ever, inspiration. And it was an inspirational time in our lives and in the life of this country. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really interesting, um, and we talked quite a bit about it, is what fame, fame does, mm -hmm. not only to that person, but to those who are involved. Um, I think it's, for me, it's, uh, I find fame to be an odd commodity, if I can say it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be fascinating for your students to look at people who weren't famous and became famous and how it affects them, their families, their loved ones, those around them. So those are the two things that I think of. You know, unity and then fame would be the two That's areas. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Yes. And I, I mean, I, I, those are things that I definitely want them to explore. You know, with, with the goal that you mentioned, too, the whole fact that early NASA was, the organizational culture was so different than it is now. Mm -hmm. It was much smaller. Mm -hmm. All of the people working on that work goal were so united. And um, mm -hmm. it was like my father often says it was 400,000 people who were like a family mm -hmm. in their aim mm -hmm. of, of getting a person on the moon. So mm -hmm. it brought together, it was more than just the astronauts. It was all of these contractors and workers at all different levels doing something that they felt like was important. It was really interesting. So I, yeah, I want to have them do this too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And your dad was so sweet. Um, when you invited my husband and I to the uh, celebration for uh, this summer, Apollo 15, 50th anniversary, um, I got to got a chance to go up and just say hello because, you know, your dad was obviously the star speaker and people were <laughs> wanting to come and say hello to him. And, you know, when I said, hey, uh, Mr. Scott, you know, Diane Gordon. And he's like, oh, I wish your dad was here because my dad was your dad's backup. And um, your dad was uh, just saying, you know, when I think of your dad, the one thing he kept on saying to me over and over again is, Dave, we had fun. They worked hard, but they had fun. And I think about our childhood, and that is very true. We had fun. We had fun. Community Conversations is produced by Lolita Tarot, Nick Twimlow, and Jacob Chisenhall, who also edits the show. Music by Sister Sai. We are grateful for the continued support provided by our colleagues at the Rose Library, including our director, Jennifer Gunter King. Special thanks to Tracy Scott and Diane Gordon Briggs and the Emory Center for Digital Scholarship. For more information about the Rose Library and our other podcast series, please visit us at rose.library.emory.edu and follow us on Rose Library's Instagram and other social media. And please, share with your friends. You can find Community Conversations on all your favorite podcast feeds. Join us in the new year on our next episode as professor and scholar Anthony Kuda explores the rich history of special collections at Emory University with his former teacher, Emory Professor Emeritus of English, Ron Schuhart. We'll see you soon for our next conversation.